as hmm. Phil looked back, he said, you killed my older brother. Hmm. And, uh, and so then they shot Phil with bows and arrows. I said to the Lord, I can't face life without Phil. I had married young, and and, uh, and yet in the days ahead, the Lord would bring promises like Philippians 4.13. And as he ran away from that plane, he thought he was up in the friendly Donny area. In actual fact, he was just down the river from where Phil and Stan were killed. Hey, everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard, and man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do in these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, and if you're interested in knowing more about that, you can go to my website, fruitfulvineministry.com. Uh, or go to www.beforeyouquit.us, and there's information there. Also, tons of blogs and podcasts that I've done. Love for you to go there and listen to uh, many of the things that I've put out there in the past couple years, actually. So let me get a little bit deep with you, go back into my childhood. Uh, As you know, childhood experiences and memories are the things that shape us. In fact, I had the unique honor of growing up in the jungles of Papua, Indonesia. It was called Irian Jaya at the time that I was uh, born and raised there. It's uh, made up of rugged terrain and primitive people, and my experiences there molded me quite deeply. Uh, there's probably one event that no doubt had the greatest impact on my life, not just in, in mine, but also in the lives of many of the other children and workers that I grew up with at that time. And I know even the story that I'm going to tell you about had a, a quite a far reach. In fact, there was a popular book that was written about it. But you're going to hear a story today, a dangerous story, uh, a hard story. Uh, but in the end, again, really more evidence of how God will take the worst possible tragedies and loss and turn them into his good. Another evidence that he is so sovereign, so faithful, and so good. So as a child, I think I was probably about seven or eight. I remember so well hearing the stories about two missionaries by the name of Standale and Phil Masters, uh, the Masters' children. Some of them were in school with me. They were trekking through the jungle, reaching, trying to reach a tribe that had never been reached by the gospel and by outside people. And as soon as they reached that tribe, the tribe turned on them, attacked them. Both were killed, dozens of arrows piercing their bodies. And it was a sad time. I remember being really affected by this. It was uh, just a very uh, disconcerting, very kind of confusing for a kid, pretty confusing time that uh, here people are doing what God's called them to do, and they get killed for it. Hard to explain, hard to understand. Well, just six months later, a, a schoolmate of mine by the name of Paul Newman, he was a couple years older than I was, uh, was with his family flying in a sing- single-engine airplane, Uh, The airplane hit bad weather, again, very rugged terrain. The plane crashed. Paul was the only survivor in that plane. His entire family were killed. The pilot was killed. And guess where that crash happened? The very same place where Standale and Phil Masters were martyred. And what happened next, and, uh, and more about this story, is what takes us to this podcast. Because guess who I get to interview today? Phil Master's wife, Phyllis. What an amazing story, a gripping story, a dangerous story, a story of redemption, 
And again, a story that gives more evidence, not that we need it, but certainly more evidence of a sovereign and good God. So let me go ahead and jump into that podcast now. Okay, I have on the uh, other end here, actually by phone, to my Zoom conferencing, uh, Phyllis Masters. Thank you, Phyllis, for being on the Before You Quit podcast today. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, well, well, this has been a, an interview I've been looking forward to for a long time. And, and uh, I, before we get to that, I understand that you live in the ice cream capital of the world. Now, where would that be? That it's got to be somewhere located. where it snows a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, northeast of Sioux City, Iowa. That would be north of Omaha, Nebraska, and just south of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Okay. Well, why why in the world has it become the ice cream capital of the world? It's my understanding that more ice cream is produced here in Limars uh, than anywhere else in the world, and uh, it's not all under the um, the um, name of Wells Blue Bunny ice cream, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, they they have other contracts as well. They okay. used to. Well, well, right. that's, they, go ahead. I, I was going to say that they used, I know that at one time they had the contract with Disney, Disney World, is it, at, uh, mm-hmm. in San Diego to make right. the Shamu okay. bars. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm trying if to think I'm how to segue. That right. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how to segue from this to our topic today. I don't think there's any way to smoothly do that. So we will, <laughs> we will jump tracks and, and go the direction that uh, we're to be on today. All right. So let me, let me uh, just share again, my context here and then have you share yours. I, I was six years old in a boarding school in Papua, uh, which was formerly Irian Jai. It's now Papua, Indonesia. Uh, my parents were missionaries there. You and your husband and family were missionaries there. And I think I was around six years old and her, her, heard of the horrible news of two men who were uh, savagely killed by a tribe that they were trying to reach with the gospel. And um, I shared with you just briefly that before we started recording that that was an event in my early Early childhood that shaped my love and passion for the gospel and for the lostness of people. And uh, it's fascinating to me that I have the opportunity to talk to the wife of one of those men, uh, Phil Masters. And so go ahead and, and uh, tell us the story, maybe begin how you ended up there and the series of events that led up to this. Okay, um, Mitch, I, I usually begin when I begin to talk about this uh, with a statement by Bishop Hall, which is something that is, is so uh, it says it so very well and succinctly. What I have done is worthy of nothing but silence and forgetfulness. But what he has done for me is worthy of everlasting and thankful remembrance. And uh, I just, uh, I guess where, where I often uh, reflect back to the fact that uh, I never wanted to be a missionary, and the Lord had to just, it was a real struggle to give in to mm-hmm. the Lord's will for us to be a missionary, and um, the Lord, le- uh, in various ways and means, the Lord led my husband and me to go to Prairie Bible Institute, and there the Lord showed us that he wanted us out in Dutch New Guinea, mm-hmm. and uh, in 1961, we left. And the year I was born. Is that right? It was, yes. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, we left. And uh, also, as I relate the events that later happened and all along the way, I just want to say the Word of God 
is this is just so prominent in his promises to us. Uh, when we left, the, one of the promises that he gave to us was First uh, Thessalonians 5:24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And um, that's such a, a wonderful promise to me because I knew that I didn't have any any great gifts or any special talent and uh, yeah we knew that this is where the Lord wanted us to mm. be and that's the best best place to be and so uh, now reflecting back on all these many years that have passed uh, and all that the Lord has done I realized that even if we're loaded with talent and give and special uh, things. Um, it's still the Lord that does the work. And unless the Lord build the house, they labor mm-hmm. in vain that build it. And it's not yeah. by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so that was just a real, real help to me through the years. And it must have prepared you well for what you eventually face, which, uh, of course, you'll get to that in, in just yes. a moment. Um, and, and, and of course, we, you know, uh, people that, that take risks like that and leave familiar culture to unknown culture. They know that there's going to be a cost, but uh, you, mm-hmm. you don't anticipate the cost being what you ended up experiencing. Uh, that's true. And yet we know that uh, as the Lord leads us, the best place to be is in obedience to his mm-hmm. will. Yeah. And that's, uh, the Lord took us first to uh, to the Tolly Valley, to the work which had already been started at Catabaca. Mm-hmm. And uh, there the people had um, oh, just, when they began to hear the words of the gospel by other Donnies from the Ilaga Valley and by the missionaries, uh, they just welcomed it. And uh, there they turned in a people movement. Wow. And of course, it was one by one that they actually mm-hmm. came, received the Lord. But And, and they were just, uh, we had the privilege of being uh, witnessing the first baptism, first communion, helping to set up the first literacy schools and so forth. But while Phil was, uh, we were in our first year there, the Lord um, uh, laid it on the heart of Phil to to trek into Ninia from another station and to help Sandale uh, finish the airstrip there at Ninia. And while Phil was there at Ninia during those months, the Lord laid on his heart the people that were still unreached, the people at uh, in the valleys that lay between Ninia and Kodapun. Yeah, and, and to give and, context here for people who aren't familiar with that uh, that part of the world, this is one of the most rugged. It's an island over Australia, and the west side is uh, was then Dutch New Guinea, then later became Indonesia. Uh, very rugged from coast to uh, mountain ranges, uh, you know, snow peak mountain ranges. And um, uh, tribes, uh, again, people unreached at the time that you were there, um, from what I understand now, there are 250 or so very distinct language groups on the island. Is that correct? Or on that, on that side of the island? Yes, that's, that's what I, I understand also. Yeah. And uh, as you said, it, it was very rugged. And, mm-hmm. um, and after the airstrip at Ninia was completed, uh, later on our mission, the uh, Regents Beyond Missionary Union at that time, now world team, felt the Lord was leading us to begin another work. So Phil and Bruno De Leo trekked later on from Ninia seven days to the east. There 
there was the Kemyal tribe. And later on, it worked out. They were able to go in on a survey trip and find a place that they felt they could build an airstrip and trek back out seven days. It takes 15 minutes by plane. So, you know, it was pretty rugged, uh, rugged trekking. Later on, a few months later, they took a team of Donnies to help them and trek the seven days back into that area, which is now Korapun, and began to build the airstrip. And that, we were um, seven days to the east of Ninia by, by trekking, and it was a completely different language, a completely different people. And uh, we began the work there. After the airstrip was finished, the family joined mm-hmm. Phil. You have how many, how many children to this point? I had a uh, Rob was born while Phil was in in at Kotapun building, mm-hmm. uh, working with the people to build wow. that airstrip. Mm-hmm. And uh, after Christmas, then in uh, it was 1963 when that airstrip was opened, and after Christmas. Uh, the family and and myself were able to join Phil there at Kotapun, and we began the work there at Kotapun and uh, began to learn the language and establish ourselves to build up confidence. and And we went on furlough then uh, about eighteen months later. And when we we had a good furlough, when we went back to Kotapun, the Lord gave me uh, reminded me of the verse. Uh, in Second Samuel 24, I believe it is 24 something, that where David said, "Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing." When we mm-hmm. returned to Sentani, for, first of all, we heard that Standale had been shot uh, by arrows, and uh, very simplistically speaking, the people on on um, some of the people on on one side of Ninia, as I understand it, had begun to turn to the Lord and. Uh, were burning their fetishes, and two of Stan's uh, pastor boys, I think he called them, uh, were out in a village and had been shot and killed. Mm. This was uh, to the east of Nini, and Stan trekked out to see, to investigate their death, and uh, he himself was shot and, and just uh, barely survived. Wow, I did not uh, know his, that happened once before to him. My goodness. Yes, and and I'm I'm mentioning that because Stan was able to go back after having five arrows shot into him, and after after uh, being operated. And about six months later, Stan and the family went back to Ninia. However, they were forbidden to trek through those villages that had been antagonistic. And as I tell this story, Mitch, I realize that I'm telling it the way I have heard it. Others remember things a little bit differently, and uh, but as I have heard the story, Stan was not able to reach to trek through those villages, nor were his his. Uh, young believers. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we continued learning the language and uh, gaining the confidence of the Kemyal people at Korupun, uh, Stan and Phil had a burden to, and, uh, and the thought, and we all, all felt good about it, that if the men could trek back from Korupun into the Sang Valley, there were several valleys between Nini and Kotapun that were entirely unmade as far as, uh, as the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so they, their, their purpose in 
trekking from Kodapun that day in September was to establish an outpost in the Seng Valley, believing and and trusting that the people there would receive them. Mm. Phil had actually trekked through those valleys twice before. Well, actually, uh, three times when they went in on a survey and went out. And they had been shot at once, but Phil always felt that it was just because they uh, surprised a person mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. The, in his gardens working. When they started out that that morning in, in September, Pat and... Her children were there with me, and uh, we we just really felt good about it. And the men trekked um, through the Kimyal speaking area and into the Yali speaking area, which was uh, Stan Stan's language, of course. Mm-hmm. And when as they trekked along and got to the to the Sang Valley, they were they found that the people weren't weren't glad to see them; that they were very upset. And uh, back at Kodapun, Pat and I had contact uh, every afternoon at 5 o'clock on our trail radio, on their trail radio, I should say. However, towards, I think it was about the third day, our radio stopped working at Kodapun. We could, we could hear but we couldn't transmit or or it wasn't Mm -hmm. going out. And so when the men said on the night before they were killed that they were going to go on to Ninia, we we just couldn't ask them why they made that decision. But evidently they hoped to to skirt uh, around and and just get to Ninia Mm -hmm. safely because in actual fact, they were being prevented from going back to Kodapun. However, that night, as we turned off, we left our radio on into the night um, that night and um, um, and then left, turned it on, of course, first thing in the next morning. They didn't, uh, as I said, we, we couldn't transmit. Uh, we couldn't transmit. So um, then the next afternoon when they didn't report in on the radio, we knew that they could be in real trouble or it it could be that there was just a break in their aerial wire. But as we went to bed that night, we, Pat and I knew that, that it could be uh, something serious. Yeah. And, well, you, um, you had to prepare yourself for that possibility. Yes. If uh, you never think it is going to happen. Mm-hmm. However, the next morning we did have the radio on and it was about two o'clock in the afternoon that uh, as I was running up the steps from being outside uh, doing some wash in, in the wash house that I heard the message being called from Anguru to Katabaka. And, um, and I knew, and, and the significant thing to me is that as I was running up those steps into our house and heard that message, the Lord just waved to my mind, Isaiah 43, 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Mm. And uh, that just gave me a strength that I just... Um, hadn't ever experienced before. And as we heard, uh, what actually happened was that the uh, when the men broke camp the day they were killed, uh, they realized that um, um, they were being followed and started on their way. And so they sent the carriers on ahead and uh, Stan brought up the rear. And about noon, as they trekked along, about noon, the warriors uh, drew up and shot first Stan with 
I've been told, hundreds of arrows. Wow. And um, as hmm. Phil looked back, he said, you've killed my older brother. Mm. And, uh, and and so then they shot Phil with bows and arrows. And um, the carriers looked back and they saw that there was nothing that they could do to help the men. And so that they were able to drop their pack and to just run and and get away and they, two they of like, the Donnie men. Yeah. Pardon? They likely would have been killed as well if they had um, been. I, that's what they would. Yeah. It, it's likely they would have, yes. Uh, just and to clear, two, are they the ones, some of them, one of them made the call uh, on the radio? That's what. Actually, that's the two of the Donnie carriers trekked to the north and went over the ranges and they reported the news in to the missionaries at Angaroo. And that was, and that was so, how, how long after the attack was that? Did you that find was about, about 25 hours later, mm-hmm. 2 o'clock the next day. And uh, when we heard the message, Pat knew that Stan was gone, that he couldn't survive another um, another incident. Yeah. And Yet I held on to the hope that Phil was still alive because, um, and I realized it probably was just denial, but mm-hmm. uh, the Donnie word for hit and kill is the same. Uh, and that's what, that's what word and that's, was. I, so I held on to that hope. When our missionaries at Katabaka heard the news, they immediately called for an MAF plane and to come and get them and to, to um, come to the area to ho- hopefully to fly over the area. The weather closed down at um, on the Eastern Highlands and so they weren't able to get to the Eastern Highlands and so they overnighted at Wamana, not knowing whether Pat and I had heard the news or if we were still in the dark concerning that. But Because uh, you had no way you had was, no way of trans- transmitting out. You could only hear, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Uh-huh. Wow. And um, as as uh, that was a, a rough night of course and in the oh, middle of the night there was a one of those earthquakes that comes and just sort of shakes everything and and um, so we, we it was quite a night and as as I prayed through the night I just I said to the Lord I can't face life without Phil mm-hmm. I had married young and and uh, and yet in the days ahead the Lord would bring promises like Philippians 4:13 I can mm-hmm. do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me mm-hmm. and he is their strength in the time of trouble and my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness and uh, so I I felt though that the Lord knew I couldn't face life without Phil and so that somehow on that mount, on a mountainside Phil was still alive later on when the men uh, came into Catabaca and uh, I had we were pretty well ready to be flown out um, then we had packed up a few things and and um, Pat went back to Ninia because she knew that there was going to be a, a search team going in and mm-hmm. I flew back to Catabaca uh, with and Rob. You, you, you have five children. Yes. And, yes. and how, how and, old is the oldest um, at, this, at this time? At that time, Chrissy was 12. Okay. And, uh, and Kurt was 11. Mm. I believe it is 12. <laughs> yeah, they're at the, they're at the missionary boarding they school. Were, 
him at this time, aren't yes, they? Yes, they were. Yeah. Chrissy was in the eighth grade, Kurt was mm-hmm. in the seventh grade, and then Becky was in the fourth grade. And um, and later on, they were flown into Catavaca as well. Um, but yeah. Wow. Then when this, I I kept hoping and and as I said perhaps denying in was in denial um, until the helicopter team went in. At that time, they had to call a helicopter from PNG, Papua New Guinea. And uh, when they came back with the the news that the men had definitely be, been uh, killed, that their bodies had been um, actually. Uh, chopped up and and cannibalized and again the Lord just uh, gave me so many uh, little assurances and um, as I was as as the incidents of their deaths and what happened to their bodies and so forth was given to me um, it just the Lord brought into my mind that verse that says and fear not them which kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. And it was just a a realization. We all know that for the believer who has Christ in his heart, the moment he dies, he's instantly with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But it was just as though the Lord was standing right there uh, bodily, reminding me of that fact. And um, yeah, it's amazing and to then, me as you think this. I, I just reflect on the power of the Word of God. And you mentioned at the very beginning of this how Scripture, you memorize Scripture before this, so that as you face this tragedy, it, tragedy is, it was more than just reflecting on Scripture verses. It was really claiming the promises that were contained in those verses and uh, and just the, the reality of them. I mean, it's not just comforting words. These were uh, deeply reassuring and, and a sense of God's presence there in, in all of this. That- just, uh, if you can just keep it on pause for a moment. Um, yes, and so when Phil was killed, I was I was very thankful. At first, I thought that there was nothing that we could do but to go home. And uh, I just, um, the Lord, I was thankful that it had been a hard decision for me because I knew that we were there because he wanted us there. And, and in many ways, he, I was encouraged to believe that even though I was pregnant with our fifth child, Tim, oh, wow. uh, that mm-hmm. there were many things that I could fit into. Not at Korupun. Uh, it was still a man's work. It was an outreach. And mm. um, but I moved back Katabaka, and I'm I'm jumping over an imp- important part of that particular uh, story. Uh, when nothing was done to avenge the deaths of the of the men, the people began to uh, want to go on and to just wipe out this thing that was coming towards them that was causing their people to burn their fetishes, which they very um, they feared the evil spirits. And yeah. so a patrol went in and um, to the area, a large military patrol along with uh, two of our missionaries, Don mm-hmm. Richardson and Frank Clark. And uh, before they came back, out, uh, took back from the Sang to Ninia. A number of the Sang young men had been killed. They took one prisoner back to the jail at Wamana. However, uh, to jump back to my part, then the Lord kept assuring me that we did not have to go home right away. And so I moved back to Katabaka from Korapuan where we had originally begun and continued work there. We had quite a few missionaries there at Katabaka. 
a hospital and I and I took on the role of being the medical hostess. At that point in our mission history, there were a lot of uh, missionaries coming to Catabaca to to, um, have their babies. We had a doctor there and so forth. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and uh, of course, uh, staying was was practical for your children to continue school to you know maintain stability for them. I'm sure. Well, that's not the uh, the end of the story. Um, I remember uh, again. I'm just a child when this is all happening. And th- and there were you know in our experience back then because of the nature of the work, uh, the the context of. Uh, you know, the geography of the place. There were occasionally airplane accidents and tragedies. And again, it, it would always shake me up in a, in a very uh, strange way. And, uh, you know, just the, the burden for people and the fact that there were kids in the school that, in, in your case, I knew your, your other children and knowing that this happened to their dad. It just really, uh, really shook me as it did all the other children. Um, but there was an airplane accident that happened uh, some months after that, and there was only one survivor, and that airplane accident had a strong connection with uh, with Phil's and Stan's death. Tell us what happened there, because this is where you begin to see the awesomeness of how God works and his sovereignty. And uh, so, yeah, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear your perspective on that. Yes, uh when, when it was about three months after Phil and Stan were killed, and uh, we heard on the radio the missionaries that a plane was missing, and so all all of us were were just uh, glued to the radio. And uh, what what uh, <clears throat> happened? Uh, the pilot who was uh, had been on the south coast and then picked up the Newman family, actually had lunch with. Don and Carol Richardson at Camor, uh, and was flying towards the mountains. And as I, to they were headed to Mulia, which was a, another uh, Donnie station for where the Newman family were going to spend part of their Christmas vacation. And uh, as the pilot flew, evidently the clouds were beginning to close down on the mountain. However, he could follow this river, which in the providence of God, uh, he, he thought was the big Balim River, which would have taken him through the narrow uh, Balim Gorge and out into the wide open Balim Valley. And as he followed that up into the uh, foothills, uh, he realized that it wasn't the Balim River, and but he was too far into the foothills and the mountains to successfully make uh, a wide enough turn to get out. And as I've heard the story, he said to the passengers, we can't make it. And the plane uh, uh, crashed to the ground. And when Paul, the nine-year-old boy, was um, um, was able to work his way out of a broken part, I believe, in the in the rear part of the plane. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And yeah. to to uh, run away from that burning plane. And as he ran away from that plane, he thought he was up in the friendly Donnie area. In actual fact, he was just down the river when for from where Phil and Stan were killed. Mm. And um, mm. as he ran away and over a bridge and uh, up, he was actually running towards the village from which the killers had come. And uh, yet one old man who had not wanted the uh, people, the warriors to kill Phil and Stan, uh, took him into his hut and kept him alive then until the, the missionaries 
uh, the pilots could get in and how, investigate. How long, how long was that before he was found by the... Uh, I, I believe it was two nights and a, a full day, that, okay. the rest of that day and all the next day. Yeah, and, and his uh, family perished, the, the pilot perished in the airplane. Yes, his whole mm-hmm. family and the pilot. And uh, as we missionaries were praying and huddled around the radio following the search as it was going on, as the pilots were flying and, and looking and searching it. And when uh, Paul Pontier saw that crash from the ground, it seems to me that he almost shouted into the microphone. And he said, it's right where Phil and Stan were killed. Wow. Mm. And um, it just almost gave us, um, uh, we just were astounded because we felt like it was just part of God's plan. Yeah, something. That, and, I, and I believe firmly that one of the, um, one of the purposes or, or reasons for allowing this to happen was to focus prayer around the world on that tribe, the, uh, the Yali tribe. Yali. Mm-hmm. and. And then I mentioned uh, before that um, that the patrol had taken one one prisoner back to the jail at Wamana, mm-hmm. one of the Yali young men. And as I've heard the story told, the next day when the missionaries, uh, after they had discovered the the plane crash, and uh, as uh, they went in, not not thinking they'd find anyone alive. And here was Paul that had Amazing. been protected. And, and, a, and they a, were determined <clears throat> to take back gifts and rewards to those people. And when they took back, the government gave them permission to take this young man back. I have heard that the people were wild with joy. Mm. And uh, they said... That then and in the ensuing months, they said, we want to hear what you have to tell us. And it was the young men that Stan had had uh, had brought to Christ and had mentored his pastor boys that were able to trek into that area with the gospel and uh, and share in their own language the word of God and the gospel. And um, and the day came when the first of them began to turn to Christ. Now, at the risk of jumping too quickly ahead here, uh, you ended up moving to that tribe. Is that correct? Uh, no, that that isn't correct, Mitch. Oh. I moved back to the Donnie tribe. Okay, close to, by. To Katabaka. That was about 45 nice. minutes. Okay. Um, there was the Kimyal tribe, which we worked with. Okay. And but other missionaries the tribe. And others ended up moving to that Yali tribe, and, and uh, people yes. responded gospel there. Did That's you visit right. there yourself at some point? Yes, I did. One, at one point, I trekked uh, with three other single girls into that area, and um, and that was quite an experience in that itself. Meet, that uh, was, did you actually meet the people that killed your husband? At that point, I didn't, but later in uh, 20, let's see, it was uh, 1999, I went right into the area, and it's quite Quite a story. God doesn't waste that someone <laughs> has said the seed yep. that he allows to be planted. And mm. um, in 1999, I went out for a year to um, to uh, help teach in the missionary kids school at Wamana. And uh, it just happened that 
uh, I was able to go right to the village of Wheatbone. And the interesting thing is that when, uh, I believe it was Nalimo, a man named Nalimo, gave the signal for the party to to attack, he had on his back his adopted um, nephew. And on that helicopter, going back in 1999, that very boy, as I understand it, had just graduated from Bible school. (laughs) And he was going back along with his sick patients. And at that time, the the people lined up and the the actual killers did line up and and, uh, some, if not all, had come to Christ. Amazing. And Mm. I was able to speak to them and what a joy it was to see them uh, all over this little crowd that had gathered as I was sharing the scripture and and just the the giving them a little word uh, to see them whip out of their little net bags the pen and pencils and write down the verses that I uh, the references so it it just um, yeah, Phyllis, when I, you know, my, my st- people uh, that listen to this regularly know my story that uh, our story that we lost our oldest son to cancer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there mm-hmm. were, there were people that uh, came to Christ out of his testimony. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would often say, how, how can you be angry when you see what God does with, uh, uh, with the tragedies we face? When, when you see how in his sovereignty, he orchestrates just so beautifully, um, mm-hmm. you know, things related to his, the, the work of redemption and people coming to Christ out of a tragedy like yours. Uh, I mean, yes, you mourn. Of course, you grieve. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can carry pain and, and have a a sense of awe and who God is at the same time. It's not to it's not to deny that. Um, I, I mentioned sometime during our podcast here that I was running. We actually put on pause, and I told you I was running low on on battery because I forgot my power cord this morning, and the guy working at the office next door forgot his as well. So uh, we're going to have to wrap this up pretty quickly here. One of the things I'm going to ask you in just a moment to just share with us one thing you would you you miss the most about Phil and what you want us to know about him the most. And I'm sure even your younger children, you, uh, you would often talk about him. But uh, one thing that I, I pick up uh, about his character and both of you is uh, there was a restlessness for the gospel to reach uh, people who hadn't heard. You mentioned a number of times how you know, you'd move somewhere, set up a base, and then he would have a burden for another place. And it, it reminds us that we should, uh, uh, we, for us here in, in Western society where there are, you know, the presence of Christianity is strong, there's still so many lost people around us. And uh, it's good to be reminded that, that uh, we ought to have this restlessness, that there are people even around us who don't know Christ. And uh, that's one of the things that impresses me. Uh, what about you? How would you love for us to remember Phil, your husband? Um, I think that obedience, uh, and both of us, and there were many things that were were just uh, imperfect people uh, all along the way and had a lot to learn and uh, still do, actually, growing in the Lord. But Phil was not an athletic person. He he trekked those mountains, not because he loved to hike mm. or to be a mountain climber, but he did that from uh, because to get from A to B there, you have to trek. Mm. And uh, he did it. And uh, I... I relied on Phil so very much and just 
stuff. Just, of course, there's many things uh, you miss in your life partner. And I had to learn that the Lord would be my husband and Mm. a father to my children. And it's just amazing to me how the Lord has kept us in spite of all of our weaknesses and failures, especially Mm. mine, how the Lord has kept us and provided for us and and just even in, in uh, not, not wanting, I felt like when Bill was killed, there was nothing for me to do to, but to be go, go home. And yet the Lord showed us that he, he wanted us there and he would provide and that mm. finances were not a problem to him. If we were, uh, the Lord just showed me if when I went on furlough the first uh, two years later that if, if I was being obedient to him, I could trust him day by day and um, to provide the finances. And he certainly did. He's he's provided. Mm -hmm. And um, how long uh, did you stay before you before you actually came home for good? um, Actually, I altogether, I was there 27 years and I came home in 87, hoping to go back. Uh, I I was involved in um, uh, helping to train the the Sunday school teachers and the women's work teachers. Another single girl and I helped to set up uh, the women's work in the in the Tolly Valley. And um, my father needed help. My mother had died mm-hmm. in '84, and my my uh, dad just needed someone. Okay. He was in the early stages of dementia, and so uh, I. I was able, though, to do college work uh, and conferences and do speaking along with that, Uh, caring for my dad. Your story was used in a tremendous way. I viewed a video on YouTube. I'm actually going to put a link on this on the website. Uh, I think it was after your 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 son Kurt, who's a principal at, at a school in Florida, uh, was interviewed and told uh, uh, you know the story from his perspective. I'll put a link for that as well. But there was a video that I saw of the that tribe, the Yali tribe, receiving the scriptures, and uh, that was just profound. Um, and I'm sure it must have just just that was done. actually uh, oh. Yes, the Yali tribe now has the whole Bible in their own language, and the Kimyal tribe has the New Testament, and many believers, and uh, the the joy to me uh, is to see that although when I flew away after packing up, and as I was flying away, I I said, Lord, have we wasted four years of our lives? Mm. And um, it just seemed like we weren't leaving behind a church. We knew there were some who had prayed to receive Christ, but uh, uh, I could put it into perspective later. It was Mm -hmm. a beginning. And the Kemyal people now look at Phil as being the first one to bring them the Word of God. (laughs) And that's... um, That's That's amazing. Wow. Wow. Uh, Don Richardson, who you've referred to a couple times, uh, wrote a book called The Lords of the Earth, which is about this story, reaching the Yali tribe, the uh, death of uh, martyrdom of uh, Phil and Stan, and then later the uh, the airplane crash there with Paul Newman being found by that uh, that older man. Uh, so I'll put that link uh, as well for that book. It's a, it's a phenomenal book. Um, hey, this has been really exciting for me, Phyllis, to, to talk to you. You know, I, I'm sure you know, you you saw me as a little brat running around uh, at the MK school back then, but you know I'm a grown adult now. It's a privilege to talk to you to hear the story, your story, 
to hear it from you. A very familiar story to me. Uh, but to hear of your faith, your love for the Lord, love for his word is an encouragement to me. And I know it will be for others as well. So thank you so much for telling your story. You did a great job. And uh, I, I know the Lord will use this to encourage many people. I pray so too. Uh, and I just, uh, as, I, as I'm entering uh, mid-80s now, I just uh, want to finish well, and and uh, it's always the faithfulness of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I think of uh, Acts twenty twenty four, which says um, actually it's flung from my mind, <laughs> but uh, but none of these things move me. Near the count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy Wonderful. and uh, the ministry and so forth. But I know that my desire is to keep on learning, keep on memorizing God's word, and uh, to hide it in my heart and just mm-hmm. to keep on till the Lord calls me home, which may well, be very soon or it may be a while. Well, th- thank, thank you. you. Good, you uh, good closing words. Thank you so much, Phyllis. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. And again, you can go to my website and look at the resources that are available that will help you to appreciate even more the uh, story behind this story that you've been hearing today from Phyllis Masters. But wow, what a what an encouraging story. What a gripping story. What a faith. What, what an amazing woman. Uh, I love especially her grasp of the, her love for the scripture and how that is the thing that had sustained her. Reminds her reminds us again, doesn't it, of the power of the Word of God. So thank you so much for listening. And if you have anything you want to comment on or question me about anything, this podcast or other podcasts, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.